In this episode, we chat with Will McCoy, CEO of No Bully, about how being bullied at a young age and a kind encounter with a stranger inspired him to serve in an organization that provides bullying prevention programs around the world. Welcome, welcome. You're listening to The Science of Social Impact, a podcast from Creative Good. We are on a mission to educate and inspire you to make social impact a key ingredient in your business and life. Thanks for joining. The time to make an impact is now. As a young eight-year-old boy born with a genetic disorder that impacted his growth and bones, he's one of the shortest kids in the class assigned nicknames like Half Pint and isolated because he's not able to participate in a lot of the physical activities at school. This kid is bullied. Today, we hear the story of Will McCoy, CEO of No Bully. Will, welcome. Hey, good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us, tell some stories, uh, and of course, tell us more about No Bully. But let's start at the very beginning. Start by telling us, Will, what do you believe? What's a core principle that you know to be true after your life's work so far? I, I really believe that goodness exists in each of us and that everyone can truly make a difference each day. I mean, it takes two seconds to decide to do something positive, even on a very small scale that positive action, you know, it can't be underestimated. We never know what those ripples are going to be. And we can make a choice every single day to make a difference and make it better for someone else. And I try and live by that. And we try and broadcast it through No Bully. Awesome. So if, uh, if we were to take a very high, high, high fly view of No Bully today, share with me maybe, I don't know, three of the most compelling stats uh, about your size and your scope just today. Okay. Um, well, we're serving about 250,000 kids each year. And so we're working on a national and, and that starting this month, international level, which is incredibly exciting. We'll be in 83 different countries with one of our campaign sponsors. Uh, we just wrapped up with Shred Hate and the X Games, our partners there. We'll, we'll be working in a couple hundred schools at least this year, but impacting thousands and thousands of kids. Awesome. And if, uh, if someone listening to this hasn't heard much about No Bully yet, what is our, our one sentence or two sentence description of the work that you do? We're the most comprehensive professional development out there for schools related to anti-bullying and anti-cyberbullying. And our data shows that we have a 90% effectiveness rating in eliminating instances of bullying when they occur. Awesome. So let's, uh, let's go back. Uh, tell me a little bit about some experiences or some stories in life or business that have really shaped you as a person and brought you to where you are today. Well, yeah, as you mentioned in the intro, I grew up with a genetic disorder that impacted my bones. I was on crutches a lot as a kid. I had to have surgeries, things of that nature. Um, one of the things that really was most profound in impacting me about feeling different and feeling isolated, and it's simply because of some other kids' ignorance, frankly, 
um, I had to have some surgeries when I was 15 and they completely reconfigured both of my hips at the time and they changed the musculature and the, the bones themselves. And in so doing the muscles had to stretch and the tendons had to stretch. And so it left me with a rather unusual walk while I was going through physical therapy and rehab after I looked much, I mean, I walked much like a penguin and because all those muscles were super tight on the side and the comments and the, you know, pointing fingers and all of that, the typical to a high school, it was very isolating because they didn't understand. They just saw somebody that was walking funny. They didn't know my personal struggle. They didn't know who I was. And it was that first, well, not first feeling, but it really magnified the feeling of being different and being left out on a, on a consistent basis because of something that was well beyond my control. And so for me, that was uh, a pivotal moment in that it cemented for me what it felt like to be different, to be isolated and to be, um, well, to be bullied. I, I was teased about it. It wasn't just that I was isolated. I was teased about it by people who didn't understand what was going on. Mm. So you're born with this genetic disorder that's mm-hmm. impacting the growth in the bones. And so you're getting right. already teased from eight to 14 at 15. You have this surgery. Was this surgery right. something that you thought was going to instantly and dramatically change everything? And then you get out of it. And it's like, Oh man, like now I'm getting bullied for something else. Well, you know, it was, yeah, it was incredibly frustrating as a kid to struggle with a physical disability to begin with, to feel different. You know, kids, kids don't want necessarily to feel different. We were never taught to embrace our differences, which is something that's wrong that we have to work on. But I was, you know, the white kid from the suburbs that wasn't used to feeling different, that wasn't used to a life where the, you know, I, I, ex- I expected to fit in and for what, for, you know, because of my disability, I was unable to. So yeah, I get to this surgery. I'm like, all right, I'm going to feel better. The pain's going to be better. It was very painful and go through the surgeries. And then it was like, oh, well, you know, they, they'll find something else. You know, one of the interesting pieces about bullying that we're seeing through our research is it can be any kid. there's not a a specific demographic of a kid that can be picked on. And I think I was an example of that. It's just a matter. It wasn't my skin. It wasn't my sex. It wasn't any of those things. It was just something that someone chose to point out because I was different and I happened to be struggling. Um, Again, yeah, it, it was incredibly frustrating to get to that point, know that my life and my pain should have been better but the social situation was impacted and still negative because of it. Um, it, it was very disheartening. Mm. So you're 15 after that right. surgery, you finish out high school, did things get better then? And then what happens after high school? Well, a series of surgeries for me. Um, I had surgeries again at, at 18 and 19, and then I had to have both hips replaced at, at 32 uh, I was in a wheelchair for a year waiting for my hip replacements. I didn't want to leave the classroom and leave my students. So um, 
So really just a, a lifetime of being isolated for this one aspect of my character. Um, but what it did, you know, there's the saying of you're, you're never given more than you can handle. So I really tried to turn it into a life lesson and, and take it to heart what I, what I really was learning from these situations and to be stronger than those that were teasing and to help those that were struggling. I mean, that really became part of who I was. I specialized in working with at-risk populations of students that had been marginalized, that had been left out. And I was able to connect with them, I think, on a, very, on a much deeper level because of those experiences I had as a kid and growing up. So I really used it as a lever to be able to, to connect with kids that were struggling. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I'm proud to say that I, that I helped quite a few kids. Mm. It's really interesting that possibly some of the darker times for you in regard to bullying were in the classroom or around school, but now you have made uh, education and being in the classroom uh, you know, a huge part of your career. So take us through that journey of, I want to be a principal. I want to go back in the classroom right. that I have you know, some tough memories in. Well, I just know, you know, middle school for me was, was horrible. <laughs> it was, you know, I, there aren't a lot of people that celebrate their middle school years, right? I mean, it's tough and kids are trying to figure it out. And I wanted to dive in there. So as a teacher entering the practice, I loved working at middle school. Not a lot of people say that, uh, but, you know, middle school kids can be so passionate and so smart and they're trying to find their identity and they want someone to just lean in and say, it's going to be okay. And, and, you know, why don't you try this out? How can I help? Um, it's really important that kids feel that throughout their lives. But I think at middle school, it's that real turning point. So when I went into the classroom as a teacher, I knew, okay, give me the kids that are struggling. Give me the kids that are having the hardest time because they need us the most. So that's where I started. I, I started as a middle school teacher. I worked with them, worked with at-risk populations. And then I went through and said, look, I, my motto has always been, how can I help more kids? Well, in order to help more kids beyond the classroom level, I had to look at the school level. So then I went on to become an assistant principal and a principal. That was amazing. I worked with some incredible schools. And then went on and said, well, how can, I, how can I have a broader impact? So I became a district superintendent, turned around some schools, helped turn around a district, and get him online as far as you know, trying to help as many kids as we can, balancing those academics and those whole child needs. And then the opportunity came to work with No Bully. And we really, you know, I was at a place where I, I had felt success, I was doing some consulting at the time and no bully needed me to help him with the job description for a VP of education. And I knew, I knew of no bully. I we're fortunate to be, I'm not going to say a household brand name yet, but give us a couple of years and we're going to be there. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity to consult with them and lean in and say, Hey, you know, here's a job description for someone that can really help your organization expand and grow. So I helped him write it out. And I, and I handed it to Nicholas Carlisle, our founder. And I said, you know, this is a great job. I would apply for this job. And they must have thought that was a good idea because they offered me the position. <laughs> and so not often do we get to write our own job description. Uh, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal work with a great organization. 
I came on full-time in July of last year. And then uh, the work that I, that I've been able to do was appreciated to the point where they offered me the CEO position in October of this last year. And I tell people on a, a weekly, if not daily basis, I've, I've got the best job in the world. Mm, we, wow. we help a quarter of a million kids. We work with amazing sponsors to spread the word. Uh, I get to travel the world. We're working at helping whole countries now. I'm, I'm going to fly to uh, the Philippines at the end of this month. And we're looking at a whole country distri- distribution model with the Philippine government. And so, you know, go ahead, pick on that kid 40 years ago. And I'm going to multiply the, the positive impact, reverberate that back to the universe a little bit and see if I can help countries worth of kids that are struggling. Mm. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, so, so bullying is bullying is a problem and it would, you could probably say it is one of the problems that you are most passionate about solving in the world. Give us some scope on how big of a problem this actually is. Well, if you look at the statistics, one in three kids worldwide experience bullying at some point in their childhood. If this was a physical issue, it would be an epidemic. The World Health Organization, sorry, I get all fired up. The World (laughs) Health Organization would be leaning in and looking for like a vaccination or something. One in three kids worldwide, that's completely unacceptable and unnecessary. So yeah, that drives everybody in our office and everybody in our organization every single day. You know what? Go help a kid. Go help a school. Go help a district. It's, It's an epidemic proportion with an unnecessary cause. There is not a reason for kids to be bullied. We need to do better. We need to show compassion. We need to show empathy. We need to step up and say, just because people believe this is part of growing up doesn't mean it has to be. I mean, there were all sorts of cures for the plague that they thought were the right answer too. No, we have a proven solution. We need to stop bullying and cyberbullying, which is blowing up everywhere. Cyberbullying is the newest part on our plate in trying to help organizations. We have great companies that we work with because cyberbullying, it has that anonymity factor to it. Mm. I mean, I got a note from my sister yesterday that my niece was being cyberbullied. She, she did the right things. She called the person out. She told her parents. She did all of the right things. Uh, the fact is, it's becoming pervasive in our culture for people to be able to insult anonymously and walk away. And that's just not good. That's just not being a good human. Let's, let's start with that. And let's find a way to eradicate bullying and cyberbullying. This is the world is too polarized right now and adding that anonymity cloak to it only magnifies the problem. Mm. If you have an issue with someone, we should talk to them or back to the, if you can't say something nice, right? That's something from our last generation that we should hang on to. You can't say something nice. Don't say anything or don't leave someone out. Don't bully. We, We can simply do better. 
when we ask the question, like, why does bullying happen? Where does it come from? Do we have to, do we have to tackle this on an adolescent front and an adult front? And what are the commonalities between both adolescents and adults in bullying? And what are some of the differences? Well, uh, wow. Great question. I think that we have to start with parenting because we model for children as parents. I model for my son. He's 14 years old. He picks up every bad habit that I've got. And so (laughs) we need to be careful. You know, there's a Tim McGraw song about, you know, raising, raising people to be uh, humble and kind. I think that that's a great way to start. The, Children are being raised, well, not all children, many children are being raised without people leaning in on morals and values and ethics. Uh, and that's, that's setting us up for failure. We're seeing on a broad scale in our nation right now, gun violence, mass shootings. There, there's a lot of conversation that has been missing here. How, how can a young person get to the point where they believe within their character that harming others on a massive scale is okay? They, there's absence of guidance somewhere in that conversation. I think that young parents need help. I think that we need to provide resources. I think that we need to provide talking points. I saw a statistic the other day that most millennial parents look to the internet, to YouTube, instead of to family members for guidance on raising children. I think that's fascinating. So we're looking to start in a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. We, we want to get out in front of those parents and help them find good messaging, good opportunities for, for discussion with their child. One of the things we're doing with uh, Burger King, our partner, is that we're going to be in 83 countries and in the tray liners, we're talking about, you know, how to discuss bullying with your kids. Mm, that's how awesome. To, right. I mean, we, we've got to get out ahead of this and we need to take a stance and we need to catch people where they are. If they're in a, a you know, a Burger King fast food restaurant, great. That means they're sitting down together. We'll give them something to read and something to talk about. I think that really trying to be intentional with our work and trying to help parents do better is the first part, right? We have a whole international campaign called Power of Zero, and it's about raising children in a connected world. So raising kids in a digital age where they've got Facebook from the moment that they're born pointed at them, and that interaction with the online world starts much, much earlier than it ever did when, when I was growing up. And even when I started raising my son. And so we have to, to do intentional shifts as parents to raise children in a connected world. And, and that's one of our big campaigns right now. Another thing we have to do is looking at what are we doing to serve the students and serve children as we raise them. I was a superintendent during the time when it was all about academics. And it was all about state testing, mandated testing, and making sure your scores were going up, often to the detriment of their physical health and their, their social emotional health. So we, we've got to have that pendulum swing back and look at 
what are all of the things that are impacting students? And yes, we need to teach them. Yes, they need to learn. But we also need them to learn about taking care of their bodies, taking care of their social emotional needs, finding some balance to you know, their digital world versus their natural world. I, my son and I used to, we used to play Fortnite together. Um, I'm one of those dads that loves to be involved in what, what my kid's doing. <laughs> and we, we've shifted that to now we're playing chess together. We have better conversation and we don't have online gaming conversation and people being horrid to each other. Right. If you've listened to some of the chat rooms on games like Fortnite, there are some not nice things being mm -hmm. said and just that hazing and roasting of different players, even by very famous players of online games. And you see them on their YouTube videos and their channels and all of that, you know, what are we modeling? And so mm -hmm. we need to look at what are we providing for kids? What are we providing in schools? Right now, we're working on an incredible assessment and evaluation that not only looks at bullying and cyberbullying, but looks at things like, what is their level of hope? What is their level of depression? What is their level of connectedness to their school and to the people that work with them? What is their level of connection to family? So looking at that much broader scale, Beyond, you know, what are your test scores, kids? It's about how are you doing? How are you feeling? What can we, what can we do to help? And how can we measure that so that we can respond appropriately? I'm incredibly excited by the work that we're putting together related to assessment and evaluation of whole school climate and culture. Because I think that that's been a big missing piece of the puzzle. And it's like we're bringing in this, you know, giant pizza size answer. It's like, this is the right thing to do. We need to know how kids are feeling, not just what they're doing. Because if we know how they're feeling, we can help them manage it. And if, and unless we know that, we're operating again in this, this cloak of anonymity and then something bad happens and we try and trace it back. That's not the way to get after that. Let's take care of the mental and social health of kids. Look at if bullying's going on, we need to stop it. And then let's look at what can we do about it? If our kids are, are not feeling connected to their school, what are the answers? How can we do that better? And so we're asking the much deeper questions. It's like that asking the five whys, right? Of why you're doing something. Well, our whys always lead back to kids. And we need to know how the kids are doing so that then we can do better as a school, as a district, and then on a much broader scale. I want to make sure we take a stop on the train ride here real quick to give the most actionable takeaway possible. So everyone listening to this is going to either have a kid or know someone close to them that is an adolescent, right? Like we all have it, cousins, friends, friends of friends, uh, whatever it may be. So like if you could be the voice in a child's head, what is the one phrase that we need to know that we should be reinforcing over and over to try to get into uh, into that you know like be that little voice behind the ear of an adolescent that's uh you know facing some of these things or witnessing some of these things what's that one phrase that we can take away 
I have to start with, you're going to be okay, kid. I mean, we really just need to, to instill that hope and that optimism in the, in the upcoming generations. We need to not come at them like they're broken. And we need to make sure that they don't feel like they are alone. You know, when, when kids feel alone and isolated, they, they don't make good choices either for themselves or for others. And so to be that connection, to be that encouragement where kids can hear on a regular basis from multiple people or at least one, it's going to be okay, kid. You know, life gets better. Yes, middle school can be miserable, but hang in there. It's going to be better. If you're experiencing trauma or adversity or isolation or anything, any of those things that really make you feel less than, talk to somebody, ask for help, connect, do what it takes to persevere. Because, you know, being a, reflecting back to being that kid that was struggling uh, I'll never forget one of the things that was said to me um, just after that surgery when I was 15 that we talked about, I was even more self-conscious, right? Because I had the huge scars on my hips and it was coming into summer. I felt like everybody was going to be staring at them when I was going to the pool or whatever, you know, because they extended beyond my swimsuit and all that. And someone that, that was a very close family friend I, you know, we were having the conversation and he said, well, I, I said, I was self-conscious about my scars. And he said, Billy, because that's what I was called when I was little. Right. And it wasn't before <laughs> William and grown up and all that. He said, Billy, what you need to know is we've all seen you struggle. We know what you've been through and we don't think those are scars. We see those as racing stripes. Wow. And you know, I'm 47 years old. I remember one person taking three minutes, three seconds of their time to be thoughtful with me when I needed it most. Every one of us has five seconds in their day to add that kindness to someone else's world. And again, you don't know how far it'll carry. I carry that saying, it's not a scar, it's a racing stripe with me everywhere I go. I, I just, I just can't emphasize enough what those kind words of encouragement when I was in a tough struggling time mm. meant to me. Wow. Well, you've had uh, quite a journey from eight years old to today. Uh, along the way, there's probably multiple times when you had no idea what you were doing, whether it came to business or in life. So take me to a time and it could even be uh, something happening now that you uh, had no idea what you were doing. And let's talk about your first three steps uh, after you realized you had no idea what was going on. Wow. It seems like on a daily basis, right? Uh, I'd love to say I have this all figured out, but that's just not the case. Anytime that we're really trying to blaze new trails there's a vertical learning curve. I mean, we are putting ourselves in a risk, 
position and a vulnerable position by trying something new. I believe that that's exactly why we should do it. We need to really step out of, of patterns in order to have a greater impact. And sometimes we're going to fail and that's going to be okay. But to not have tried, it, I would rather live with failing than regret. So first step is, you know, what do I want to accomplish? What do I really need to achieve by whatever this action is? If it's a new program, if it's a new contact, uh, going beyond my comfort level and sitting in on a podcast, any of that nature, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Once you've got that concrete, you're, you're good to go. And you can use that as your lighthouse. Then I, I am so fortunate. I, I am thankful and grateful every single day for the people around me that I get to work with. It's honoring, humbling, amazing to work with people that are dedicated to that same lighthouse cause and work with smart people. If you can, you know, smarter than you, there's all those things around that. Great. Bring the best people to your team that you can try and treat them the best that you can. And then I'll run at the same target. And then let your message out. You know, a group of people working in isolation can do some pretty good stuff. A group of people doing great work with a message and an effective approach can change the world. Mm. And we, we're doing that. We are helping kids every single day because we stick to our core principle of bullying is not okay. We can end this. We know that one in three kids worldwide are being bullied. That's not okay. We're going to change that. We have an amazing team, all of whom were either dealt with bullying or saw the impacts of bullying or were bullies at one point in their, in their lives until they came here. And then we're all working and spreading that message through social media, through podcasts, through all of our work. And most of all, we're doing good work. Our sponsors wouldn't stand behind us if we weren't doing great work. You know, to be able to say that we have ESPN and Major League Baseball and Shred Hate and Hasbro behind us is because of the good work that we do for a good cause. And so having, having that central focus, a great team, and then broadcasting good work and good messaging around it would be my advice. Awesome. Got to take a second to highlight that, guys. If we're going to impact outcomes in new ways, we're going to have to do new things. And we are not going to know everything when we start that journey, but it is a worthy journey to start. Set your goals, work with smart and passionate people, and get the message out. Three easy steps. Well, probably not easy. Easy to say, hard to do. Three steps <laughs> when uh, if you're trying to impact an outcome in a new way uh, to go for it. Uh, so great, great points there. Will appreciate that. What's uh, something we'd be surprised to know about you? Oh gosh. Uh, well, I've got a pretty, pretty diverse background. I, I, I didn't come up through the uh, traditional ranks to where I'm at as a, as a CEO, and I, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, my undergraduate degree, much to I think my parents' chagrin, was art studio. And so I did drawing, painting, and sculpture in college. And I chose that major because I felt like problems hadn't been solved in that major. 
you know, I looked at business and there were formulas and I looked at computer science and there was, there were ways and systems. And it seemed like in retrospect, it seemed like things had been figured out. So I like solving problems. I like solving, you know, puzzles. And so for me, I chose art studio because there were problems that I could create that hadn't been created yet. And there were answers that I could try and figure out and solve. So art studio major. And uh, if I hadn't gone into art studio, I would have done like artificial intelligence Hmm. uh, and just those, those cutting edge pieces. And so now I bring that problem solving to the work that I do. I brought it to the schools where I work, to the classrooms, the schools, the districts, and now to business, I, I do consulting and I actually consult with cutting edge technology companies as well. So I get to, to solve big, hairy, audacious problems and help, again, push the frontiers of what's possible for humans and for technology and where the two of those meet. And it's, it's fascinating and wonderful work. Uh, I get to work on augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, all those types of things. And that allows me to do my work at No Bully and really solve the, a global problem. One in three kids experiencing bullying, that, that makes me stare at the ceiling at night. And what are we going to do mm. to make it better? Wild ride, quite the ride. <laughs> uh, so on this ride, uh, so many experiences, so many stories. What are you like? What are you scared of today? You can in business or in life. What are you scared of today? You know, I I am scared of complacency. I in the business world and in in you know beyond our private. I actually even in private life. Complacency is acceptance of the fact that everything is as it should be. I can't accept that. I, I can't accept that two massive shootings over the weekend is a world that is okay in my book. We, we can't sit aside and believe that that's okay. My heart goes out to those families, everyone impacted in those areas. So, complacency is a dangerous thing and i i like to push boundaries i you know we talked about finding that lighthouse idea surrounding yourself with good people and then getting your message out i really like to help disrupt for good right um and then you know that was so that's in business and in life uh really I, I'm scared of not leaving a legacy. I, I have to believe that my time on this planet has served more than myself. I, I really like to be that guy, uh, even at Starbucks, that buys the coffee for the person behind them, that you know, give, stops and gives money to people in need. And I really try and make that a part of who I am. I, I try and be generous and gracious and a life full of gratitude. But, but knowing that I'm leaving that legacy of kindness, trying to do what that, what that family friend did for me 40 years ago, providing that moment of kindness, no matter how small, 
to someone else and not knowing what, what that's going to do, that butterfly effect. Um, leg- legacy is a big deal to me. Fear of complacency uh, is going to be one that a lot of people who listen to this will share. What's your, what's your check for yourself? How do you know that you're not becoming complacent? What do you have in place uh, to be that check? If I'm spending too much time like looking in the metaphorical mirror and, and celebrating, hey, you know, look at all this great stuff that we've done instead of what, what's next. You know, I, I always want to stay hungry. And so, yes, absolutely, I need to take the time to celebrate with my team and appreciate the success that we're experiencing. But I'm, I'm the guy that if we're serving 200 schools, I want 2,000 schools. If we're in 83 countries, when can we get to 200? I mean, incredibly driven. And so just that, yes, I, I believe in gratitude for what has been accomplished. But if I spend too much in that gratitude um, zone, I, I really I question that in that the work's not done yet. There's so much more to be done. And so that, that's kind of my check is, yes, we need to celebrate, but what's next? We've done something well. How can we do it better? What a tough balance to find between celebration, complacency. What is, so like someone listening to this who leads a team or leads people, What's your quick thoughts on how we find that balance between not celebrating enough, which we know can be detrimental to the morale of the team and contributing to the, is, ever, is it ever going to be good enough for my leader attitude versus celebrating too much to where someone thinks, ah, we've arrived. Right. Um, well, I think that really one of the dangers of, that, that I experience, I'll, I'll just personalize this. One of the things that I, my brain is always going and I'm always motivated, go, 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 go. And sometimes that's a lot of internal dialogue, internal planning, internal thought that doesn't get externalized to my own team. And that's a dangerous place because I want to make sure that my team knows the incredible appreciation that I have for them and I, and I sometimes get caught up in that internal dialogue and forget to turn to, you know, members of my team and say, you know what? I am really happy with what you're doing. You are doing some incredible work on everything from social media to our partnerships to our amazing trainers in the field. I can't thank them enough. Our trainers, we train two to three people or two to three schools per day somewhere in the U.S., and our trainers work incredibly hard and, and I need to do a better job of thanking them. So, you know, there's the, the saying of if, if people aren't following you as a leader, you're just a guy on a walk. Mm-hmm. And so I got to keep myself from just being on a walk and, and bringing my energy and bringing the appreciation, the gratitude back to my team so that they want to come with me. Uh, it, it's an incredible, difficult, incredibly difficult balance to make. And it, it's an area that I struggle with each day. So I'd love to give you the, you know, the golden ticket on how to, <laughs> how to solve that. 
But uh, I think that growing as a leader in, in my world, that's an area that I want to get better at. Awesome. I, I think we're all looking for the golden ticket in so many avenues in life. Uh, so it's okay that you, uh, no one has the golden ticket. I think you got us a lot closer to the thought process behind getting to the golden ticket. And probably in the end, we all arrive at our own golden ticket. And it's the journey we take to get there that makes it a golden ticket. I like that. Uh, so, uh, someone who, uh, is learning about no bully, just hearing about it, uh, knows a little bit about it. Where, where can we connect with you with no bully? Uh, how can we learn more? And then more importantly, how can we help from where we are? Well, of course I'm going to send you, you know, here's our URL. It's nobully.org, which is, you know, easy to find. We just redid our entire website. I'm incredibly proud of, of our new website and all the work that our team put into it looks great, clearly identifies what we do. You know, of course, there's a great big donate button for anybody that's interested in doing that. But also support our campaigns, support our partners. They are generous with us and they take good care of us. So, uh, you know, we've got ESPN, Major League Baseball and our Shred Hate campaign. If you watch the X Games over the weekend, you saw Shred Hate everywhere. So talk it up right? I mean, mm-hmm. talk about shred hate, go to an event, talk to our group in our booths and just make that commitment to do better for kids and help do better for kids. If you follow us on social media, always helps to follow and repost and comment. We like any other social media uh, activity, the more action we get, the more visibility we get and the more opportunity we have as a result to help more kids. So everything from, you know, supporting us and our sponsors, going to nobully.org, finding out more about what we do. And even, you know, it can't be understated. I want to help more schools. So if someone has a child in a school, someone has a relative, a neighbor, and they think that no bully helping at their school to reduce bullying by 90%, they think that that would be of help. I hope that they pass either this along or our, our URL. Get the word, help us get the word out because we, we have a fantastic solution and we're happy to share it. I, I would love to see us in 2,000 schools, as I stated, mm-hmm. instead of 200. Awesome stuff. There are ways to connect. Uh, you mentioned the new website. Congrats on that. Can't wait to Thank check you. that out. The big donate button, huge, because that's what helps uh, you know further the cause. So what's... Uh, Someone who goes on, uh, clicks the donate button, gives you guys some of their funds. What's that going to do? What are you guys going to use that for? And uh, what are some of the metrics behind being able to say, no, like, we really made something happen with your dollars? The, the dollars are incredibly helpful in subsidizing school programs, making our programs available to more and more schools. We, we're intense as far as our professional development. We work with each school seven different times. And so that takes considerable amount of resources to be able to do that. But what we know to our metrics is we can reduce instances of bullying by 90%. We have research validation on that. But it takes real buy-in and real commitment from the staff and from the, the school community. One of the ways that we measure is through what's called solution team logs. And those solution team logs are... Uh, enacted, utilized 
when an instance of bullying occurs on a campus and they follow our no bully solution team system. So it walks them through the process and then records the outcomes. So have we indeed made things better for students? Did, it, did the instance of bullying stop? Yes, that's measured by the solution team log anytime a solution team is run. We, we measure three times during that process and then three months out because we wanna make sure that the kid that was the target of bullying is still doing better. Uh, is doing better three months out and their attendance is up and their perceptions of bullying and everything are better three months out. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we're looking at this new assessment and evaluation system where we can correlate not only bullying and cyberbullying, but how the students are actually feeling and responding on an emotional level to their school climate and culture. So by doing that, we can look at a much broader range of school climate and culture measurements and correlate all that data to prove our impact even further. Because ideally, we're going to reduce the number of bullying instances on a campus. And if we do that, then our metrics actually reduce, right? So if we go from 50 instances of bullying in one year to, to five, then that metric is, is good and we're very proud of that. But what you're not seeing is all of the other positive attributes like school connectedness, mm -hmm. optimism, all those other things that permeate a school when we go in and do work with them. So we're looking at really balancing our metrics to prove not only that we help the students that are targets of bullying, the bullies themselves, but then the broader school community. Awesome. So if you had 30 seconds to give a message to the whole world, captive audience, everyone is listening to you. What is your 30 second message to the world? I think it goes back to, we can do better that we don't need to be complacent. We don't need to live with things as they are. We need to drop our fears about differences, embrace the beautiful diversity that exists among our fellow human beings. The more, the quicker we drop that, the more quickly we're going to be able to solve some of these problems that we're facing. Bullying being one of them, but on many different levels, we have to stop looking at what makes us different. Look at the common causes that we're after and how can we solve those together? Because everyone Everyone has special skills, talents, and abilities to bring to solving a problem. We, we need to start there. We need to start with kindness and compassion. You know, we have the capacity to make our global experience better for everyone. And it's time to act. You know, whatever your positive cause or inclination, start today. Drop those barriers and start today. Awesome. We live in a world where we can share and communicate more than ever before. And that in itself is a tool. And that tool, like any tool, could be used for good or for bad. So we have a responsibility to use it for good. Uh, for everyone out there listening who's been uh, a victim of bullying or has had a friend be a victim of bullying or has seen it, uh, you know, just be reminded through Will's words here that you're never given more than you can handle and you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. We started talking 
about an eight-year-old boy who was born with a genetic disorder that caused him to be shorter than everyone. He got surgery for that and then walked like a penguin, was consistently bullied. And this eight-year-old boy became a nine-year-old boy and a 10-year-old boy and gets all the way up to a 15-year-old. He is, uh, he's at a pool and it's one of the first times that the world is going to see the scars from his big surgery. And he's extremely, extremely nervous about that. And someone takes the time to come up to him and they say, you know, it's not a scar, it's a racing stripe. So for everyone listening, whatever your scars are, emotional, physical, treat them as racing stripes and uh, take, uh, take care of the world that we live in. Be nice to others um, and you're going to be okay. Well, we thank you so much for your time and your words. It's been absolutely incredible, and we wish uh, all the best to yourself, your family, and to No Bully. Likewise. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It, it, it's humbling and much, much appreciation for the, for the chance to talk about our work. Absolutely. The pleasure is ours. Thank you very much. Right. Take care. Thanks so much for being with us on this episode of the Science of Social Impact, a podcast from Creative Good. Go make an impact in your world, and we'll see you next time.